Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today, we have a conversation with the Brain Trust behind Toyota Racing Development's driver development program. They are Jack Irving and Tyler Gibbs. And we did this conversation over Microsoft Teams, which is a format similar to Zoom, which I'm sure many of you have been using during the quarantine period. Good conversation, I think. Learned a lot about how Toyota goes about developing its drivers. Learned a lot about the genesis of the program. Learned a lot about the analytics and the sports science and the money ball aspects of the program. Learned a lot about how they fund the program through sponsorship. And then also at the end, we talked a little bit about what life has been like trying to develop drivers when drivers aren't really in real-world development right now. What it's like for Jack Irving and Tyler Gibbs, who again oversee a lot of the young drivers coming up through Toyota Racing Development's pipeline, how they are doing that development, how are they staying in communication with all of these young drivers when none of them are actually racing in the real world, and how they're advising them on when and how and if they should get back into the real world racing as we're starting to see tracks open up. And of course, one of those tracks is Darlington Raceway, where NASCAR will be dropping the green flag Sunday afternoon on Fox. All the coverage that you need is on NBCSports.com NASCAR. Got Dustin Long. Daniel McFadden, Jerry Bukowski, filling that site up with content all week. And immediately after the checkered flag Sunday at Darlington Raceway, we'll have another edition of NASCAR America at Home being taped with Jeff Burton, Steve Letarte, and I believe Darnart Jr. analyzing what happened in NASCAR's first race back after a two-month absence. That will be on the Motorsports and NBC YouTube channel, the NASCAR America at Home edition. These videos have been well-received. You get the same great insight that you would get on NASCAR America on NBCSN. So lots of great content worth checking out on the Motorsports and NBC YouTube channel. Also on NBCSports.com NASCAR. We've got you covered on all things NASCAR, and we have you covered here on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. So let's get to the conversation that I had with Jack Irving and Tyler Gibbs right after this. Guys, thanks to both of you for being here. I want to introduce both of you one at a time so people can kind of get a little bit of a distinctive sense of who's talking at each moment. So we'll start with Tyler Gibbs. Tyler, do I have your title right? General Manager of Toyota Racing Development. Is that correct? Yep, that's exactly right. Give us a little bit about your background, Tyler. So uh, I've been at TRD for 23 years. Um, It's been a a great ride. I started out kind of in operations, supply chain, and um, I've had the opportunity to move my way up. Um, I came from Cosworth before that worked in the IndyCar program and, and came to TRD as we were in, entering the IndyCar program. 
and have been there uh, ever since. And as the general manager, how does driver development fall under your purview? And, and do you have other things that you're sort of responsible for? Yeah, so basically, uh, my responsibilities are everything that's not technical. Um, our technical director, Andy Graves, covers the technical pieces and everything else, um, whether it be the team relationships, whether it be finance and kind of the admin functions, whether it be supply chain, uh, manufacturing, all those kinds of things fall under my, my bailiwick. Jack is our commercial director, and so all of that, again, falls in. And for us, driver development slots right into that commercial piece. Gotcha. And let's meet the other guest today, Jack Irving. And Jack, as Tyler mentioned, I understand commercial director is part of the title, senior manager, commercial director at Toyota Racing Development. Do I have that correct? That is correct. So when I when I sign the contract and I have to write all that out, it's really long. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. So I oversee... Uh, driver development, uh, software, um, facilities, um, um, all of our, anything that relates to um, any team relationship piece that is Xfinity and under would come under me as well. Um, and then a few little things there. With Toyota, you get a, a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things. So we're, we're lucky enough to, to kind of get to play around in all different types of sandboxes. And how long have you been at TRD, Jack? 10 years. I actually think it, so here's a funny one. So today is my son's 10-year uh, birthday, oh. and Tyler hired me about two weeks or three weeks before this birthday, and I flew to North Carolina about four days after this birthday. <laughs> they, that, was, that was the uh, introduction to TRD. Uh, you, you just had a baby. We're taking him to North Carolina for a week. He did send my wife flowers. That was sweet of him. But, uh, but that was, yeah, it's been 10 years. So I think uh, in, a, yeah, in a couple days, it'll be 10 years. A week from Friday. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if your wife's on board with that, then you know she's going to be okay with this job if you can yeah. leave four days after your son's born. Very good sport. Yeah, that's good. So uh, that kind of gets a little bit of my next question. So Jack, are you still in California? Yeah. So we're based out of California. Uh, a lot of our you know our corporate headquarters is out of Costa Mesa where we do our engine development. Our software team is there. We have a bunch of software engineers who, who build our software. So that's uh, under my group. Um, our commercial group is there. Uh, our commercial group deals with a little bit more sponsorship-related activity and sales uh, of, of components from TRD to outside sources. Um, so that group is based in California. I spend about a week a month before this pandemic uh, in North Carolina, at least. I'm on the road around 200 days a year. You know, It's one of those things that you kind of get used to. It didn't start that way. It just became that way. So for us, being out of California is kind of comfortable at this point. There is something, you know, about being on a plane and being able to work on a plane to get some things done helps as well. So, but uh, but yeah, travel-wise, I think if we were to restart it all over, maybe you would have based in North Carolina just because it's a little bit easier to get around. But but there is a certain comfort to how we do it this way, and it seems to work for us pretty well. Right, and then Tyler, your side of that, Jack just mentioned he flew out there to, to talk to you the first time about taking this job in North Carolina. But are you based in California, and how much time do you spend flitting around the country when things are maybe a little more normal? Yeah, um, I'm based in California as well, so been here the whole time. Like Jack said, it's it's a nice place to come home to, no matter what time of year it is. We never have to worry about snow or things like that, so it's a a nice relief when you get to come home. Um, I'm on the road like Jack, probably 225 days a year or so. Um, spend a week, a month, or a little more in North Carolina, a lot of races um, all over the place. So where Jack hits a few more dirt races and um, what we would classify as grassroots races, ARCA, K&N, super late models, um, I, I hit a few more cup races and things like that, but I try and overlap a little bit and, and get to know the kids 
um, pretty well as well. You mentioned the kids, and that's certainly the reason we had both of you here for the NASCAR NBC podcast. I had Lisa Hughes Candy of Toyota Racing PR pitch me that you guys are pretty much in, in the thick of it in that Toyota Racing Development driver development program that we hear so much about. So whoever wants to go first can just lay out the groundwork and what it all means. Jack's already pointing to Tyler. Tyler will go first in explaining as the general manager of TRD what the driver development program means and how it all got started. Well, I think Jack tells the story better. It was really something that he he developed and and, and really is, is his baby. We've been able to support it along the way. And um, make very good use of it, but um, but Jack, why don't why don't you start off with it? Because really, you, you you have the whole thing. So you know, obviously, this kind of goes back to Kyle Larson, uh, kind of the start of it, right? We were we were doing some peripheral driver development, but it was probably a little bit more financial based and working through the teams and and kind of once we kind of went through the Kyle Larson part of it and and losing Kyle and then. We had Bubba Wallace in a in a kind of a peripheral way, also connected, and then Eric Jones. Um, there was this push to to try to make it a little bit more formal, um, and also to engage partners to see if there'd be some some desire to to work with us to to make it bigger. Um, so over you know when Dave Wilson took over as president, Tyler and I kind of brainchild this on one of many drives around the country looking going to races and uh, we kind of expanded it made made it a little bit more formal and 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 then kind of went after the sponsorship piece which is where the commercial side is we needed sponsorship on top of what Toyota was supporting at um, to, to try to make it work and we kind of slowly built it from there to to get bigger and bigger to what it is now you know initially it was it was more of a find drivers and make sure you get them in good cars with good teams, which is what we did. And then in the last five years, it's it's, it's kind of morphed into what I would consider a little bit more of a development program where we're definitely in the day-to-day lives a lot more, um, guiding a little bit more to, to what is expected of them and immersing them a little bit more in the culture than just kind of seeing them on the weekends. So we have a training facility in North Carolina where we do all the driver training and we have a, a strength and conditioning coach that's out there. We have a media group that's out there that helps out with capturing media for them. We engage with them. We have a couple people out of California that, that kind of drive if it's their social piece and how often they should post to if you know they're, they're doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing Monday through Friday. Um, we partnered with Ortho Carolina to have a a medical piece to it that helps kind of with their day-to-day living. We have a nutritionist that drives a lot of what they're eating and doing every single day as well. So that we just kind of started adding, adding pieces onto it. And then we took a little bit more of a sports science approach. We had worked in the beginning with Texas Christian University to help us develop some of this and to kind of go through how we were going to set it up. And then we've kind of taken that and, and morphed it into kind of what it is at this point, which is, we feel, a pretty immersive program once you're committed to it. But you have to commit to it. There's lots of people who, I think, want to be part of the program in some way or, or form. But, you know, there's a day-to-day input piece. You have to engage with us. You have to fill out forms. You have to be online. You have to be doing all of our app stuff. Then you have to be all do all the media and the social media pieces of it. So there's a lot to it beyond just racing. I mean, then all of that gets you into our simulator, our really good simulator, not just our fun simulator. So there's there's just a lot of pieces that kind of help drive drive the program as a whole. But that was a, I don't know, seven years of, of developing that. And that was after uh, I think Tyler and I initially thought it was a crazy idea and then kind of <laughs> pushed it forward at that point. So the, the crazy idea really was, so we had had Kyle and we'd had Bubba and we'd had Eric and we'd had Daniel Suarez and just as you as you watch that program and you you see kind of the influence that we had or didn't have or could have had and when you have a really talented driver 
Um, you, you want to keep them in the family. You don't really want to compete against them on Sundays. And at the same time, how do you pay for it? Um, it's not as if we got a budget increase to, to cover driver development. And so there was kind of a two-pronged attack. How do we how do we raise the money? And to be candid, um, Jack and his group have done a brilliant job with that. Toyota puts in, relatively speaking, a very, very small number, a very small percentage, single-digit percentage of what the total is that gets spent on our driver development program. And at the same time, Christopher Bell was coming along. So we, we watched Christopher kind of had a pretty good feeling that uh, he could be special in his first 10 pavement races. He won five of them. A couple of them were pretty big super late model races. Again, a good indicator that we probably had somebody who had some real talent. And at that point, you don't want to race against them on Sundays. So you begin to kind of work through this. Um, Jack and his group were able to raise the funds to, to kind of keep the momentum going and, and kind of roll along. And so between the teams, between the funding, between all of the different pieces, we were able to, to kind of begin there. So Nate, that is, that is one of the parts that I find, if you were to go back and do it a hundred times, it probably doesn't work. Um, <laughs> yeah. from, a, from a timing perspective, you just, we were extremely lucky to have tried it when we did or pushed it when we did. And then to get the buy-in we did, there were some wars that happened early on that if they would have gone wrong, probably <laughs> you may not be talking to us right now. <laughs> and, it, and it worked, right? But there was, you know, if Christopher Bell, if you if you were to go and, and look at his first 10 late model races that kind of helped start the process of one of the kids we were obviously behind, if that goes a different way, the program changes immediately. And, and so that, you know, you had to get buy-in from Toyota, but you also had to get buy-in from partners. You had to get buy-in from TRD. And TRD was not in the business of developing drivers before. That wasn't really kind of what we did. And and though we were part of it, we weren't necessarily developing them. And I think, you know, if you look at how we engage in, in all motorsports, we're a little bit more hands-on um, than maybe some other groups. And so with development, it seemed reasonable to all of us internally that we needed to be hands-on, that, that we had to have impact and input and make sure that our vision and our view and our view of the world as a whole kind of came through. I think that's one of the things we get asked a lot, you know, you can't keep the drivers and you're going to lose drivers and we're going to. And I think we all know that. Um, but our job is to to find the best drivers we can. And, and ultimately it helps the sport. And it's not about money. It's not about funding. It's about finding the best drivers. That takes a lot of effort and time. Um, we we try all kinds of ways to find different people and to, to you know you you always get the parents who call you and tell you they found you know theirs is the greatest and I'm sure they're right. Um, but it's it's hard, right? It, it's people don't realize you know to to go buy tires and show up at uh, you know Orange County Speedway is going to cost a few thousand dollars and and to just to look at somebody in a plain racetrack and go yeah I mean that they look okay now what happens when we put a bunch of people next door to them and door to door and on a restart so. There's just so much to development that's just a little bit different than stick and ball sports. So um, there's just an analysis that has to be taken of what is the next five years look like? What does the next 10 years look like? And so we traditionally look at a lot of young drivers, but some of that is just because of where everyone fits in the kind of global look of where we are in motorsports and what the next 10 years looks like. And it, it's just a different way, I think, to look at it. We're not a team. We're not looking for somebody to fill a seat tomorrow. It's it's a little bit longer term than that. But, but I think one of the byproducts of this program that has helped is I think overall our teams are more unified together, right? So if you were to go from a grassroots team to an ARCA team, to a truck team, to an Xfinity team, a lot of our teams link extremely well because the drivers have gone through all of those steps, which is 
been something I think we hoped that would happen, but didn't necessarily know that it would happen. But that that has been kind of a, a, a pretty nice byproduct of it. That wasn't something that necessarily was masterminded before. When you guys talk about that timing and that it's not just about finding the sponsorship and putting all that in place and having the infrastructure, but also about, I would think, good results and good drivers. Was it somewhat fortuitous here that, I mean, I would consider Christopher Bell to be a home run that right as this was starting, you guys essentially had that guy that, as you said, Tyler, I think he won several late model or super late model races or whatever, like bang, right out of the gate, you guys had to kind of the can't miss prospect. Yeah, I mean, he certainly made it easier up front, right? It's hard to find money and it's hard to find a good driver. Well, if you have a good driver, now you can focus on the money part. And and so he did it the right way. He was patient. It's a no-brainer. If, if Toyota calls and says, we'd like to have you in our driver development program, or somehow we see you and, and we approach you, I'm not saying that everybody jumps in, but it's not a big risk to jump into the program. There, again, as Jack said, there's a big commitment, um, a lot bigger commitment than people probably recognize or understand when they when they say they want to jump in. But back then, we were growing this thing as we went. You know, we knew we needed a plan. Well, we had a plan, but we didn't really. We'd never done this before. So, do we have the right plan? And are we doing this the right way? You know, and and Christopher bet on us every bit as much as we bet on him, maybe more. Um, and so he, he took a gamble on us. There were a couple of crossroads or forks in the road where he chose us over probably something that looked a little bit better and it worked. We were able to reward that loyalty and he just kept winning. And so that, that helps. Yeah. And you know, it's funny too, cause even the Jonesy piece is, is hard to, you know, with Jones, we were close to David, to Dave, his dad, and, and, and we'd worked with them and, and, and this was again, the start of it, right? So we had Bubba and, and there was this how we kept Bubba didn't really work. And if you think about what the program could have been too, if we could have held on to those guys, I mean, Bubba specifically, right? I mean, you get somebody like Bubba, then you, you run into Eric and Eric happens to have a certain amount of, of ability already. Obviously Kyle helped kind of locate him and, and, and pick him, which is kind of what happens with a lot of our program. A lot of our programs are about, we do our best to scour and find, but the teams are such a pivotal piece, right? So if it's Keith Coons with Kyle or, or Christopher, or if it's Kyle Bush with Eric Jones, right? Um, but then it's it's kind of the maturity of it. So at some point with Eric, he had a really good support system and they had a vision. And Eric also had to make decisions along the way of wanting to stay with us in the way that we engaged with him. And then it kind of fell into to, to Christopher. Obviously, we worked extremely hard to, to kind of make that work. But those guys, I think those three guys in particular, when you look at it, kind of made it look easy. <laughs> I mean, you look at last year in truck, he won four races. I mean, it's a ridiculously good truck season, right? And, you know, obviously Bubba did win a different way, but but there's there's those kind of things that fell in. I mean, and then even during the Christopher piece, we meet William Byron and, and have a relationship with Bill Byron and William. And and he comes out and wins seven truck races in his first year. Again, you, I, I could act like that was us saying, wow, when he was at Greechie's, you know, running that K&N car, he looked amazing. But the truth was, you know, we had really good relationships and with our teams and people said he was good. And Billy, Billy Venturini was the one that was with William Byron. And, and by putting him in our truck, we were able to win a lot of races and, and have a chance to win a championship or compete for a championship. And I think... That's one of the things that I think all the OEs are starting to come around again. This is cyclical. Development is cyclical. There was a lot of development 20 years ago, and then it kind of slows down based on people staying in our sport. But I think you're seeing that again with Ford, with some of the stuff they're doing with their program. And I and, and I hopefully you see that get bigger and bigger down the road. But you have to be involved, right? At some point, you have to have people who have eyes on on groups, and, and you have to be available to, to try to to help it grow. And I think that's it's not just about drivers 
yeah, there's a driver selection. We kid around this about this a lot. There's there's a family selection process that has to work uh, with this too. Um, obviously, the families are an extremely important part um, of this process, and they're they're the ones who put up with it all the way to this point. And then they're kind of handing them to us, and and a lot of times that's very difficult for some of them to do. Um, letting go is not easy, especially in the sport. So that's another part of the process. But a lot of things have to work out that are beyond just what happens on the track. You know, a lot of people talk about you know, who this guy was good or that girl is good or that person is good. And, and and the truth is there's just a lot of things that have to come together at the right time to all fit to make it all work. And you could do it a hundred times over again and it not turn out the way it has for a lot of drivers. So timing is just a big piece of it. You could have a great driver and it just doesn't work for you at that point. And then you need to move on and go to something else based on the big board. You mentioned, Jack, how it's, it's different, obviously, than being a team and the way they operate. But you guys are doing some team functions like the, the sponsorship side. That's very interesting to me. I mean, I think we've seen as Christopher Bell advanced, I mean, there were certain sponsors, JBL, I remember that seemed to follow him, Truck, Xfinity. I don't know if you guys were involved in that. How does that sponsorship side of it work? How do you guys get involved with doing that? Do you do it similar to the way teams do in attaching sponsors to the drivers? How does that work? Yeah, so they're, they're, they're all a little bit different because every sponsor has different views and needs at different times with what they're what they're promoting or pushing. Um, some of it's business-to-business relationship pieces, and, and some of that will facilitate and help with. Um, we've always helped the teams in some form or fashion, right? Executive team-wise, they would, they would help whoever it was that would need to be introduced to whoever. I think we just tried to formalize it a little bit more and actively searched for sponsorship connections and what would work. And, you know, there has to be a consumer facing side of it too. You, you know, if you're, you're, you're going to somebody who's making widget a for the underside of the car, it really doesn't matter. They don't, they don't really care about selling to customers, but for somebody like JBL, who is, who is really one of the first ones that we, that was at the level we worked with, there was, there was a lot of links there, right? I mean, it was this sounds kind of funny to go back, but Beats had just come out with their pill, and JBL has a thing called the Charge that's a Bluetooth speaker that ended up being, I think, the biggest selling Bluetooth speaker of all time. Uh, they sold 30 million units or something like that as of two years ago. And so they had a consumer-based pro- product, but they also were in our, our cars and our trucks. And so they had a, a relationship they wanted to have with Toyota as well, and they wanted to keep that strong, but they also wanted to promote their consumer-based products. So it was an easy kind of link once you got going on how you were going to do it and how it would link to them. But what we found is there are so many things we didn't know. Um, you have to create a lot of content and, and you have to use social media to help um, promote those relationships. You also have to win and you have to compete. And so finding good drivers and winning races is a big part of that because sponsoring a car that finishes 15th, 18th, 19th, it's a tough way to earn your investment back from a marketing perspective. So we've spent a fair amount of time analyzing the market and kind of what each group would need. And we help put together a a marketing program for them. them. We have a, a group named Exit 10 out of Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, who helps us out with a lot of our ad decks and kind of how we engage and they come up with wacky things that we can try or do and we have a video person who does a lot of video for the kids to try to make sure that they're actively engaging consistently engaging on social is not easy i mean i think a lot of people see people do it and go wow it's it's that that's not that hard and it's it is it is really hard to document your life and start putting that stuff out there and to do it in a creative way that people want to see so it doesn't always work for everybody so you have to find the right fits for the right sponsors but it was it was a big part of it for us to start and to learn we do it similar to the teams but 
our difference is it's not team based, so it's more Toyota racing based. So it's about the racing program, it's about the development program. So a lot of the partners can be part of the bigger development program and utilize other drivers and do kind of more engagement or activate in a different way. All the kids have been fantastic ever since we started it, all actively engaging both sides of it. If it's Harrison Burton and Christian Eckes both doing safe flight stuff way before we knew if Christian Eckes was going to be a safe flight driver. It was just, there was a lot of ways to cross engage. And, and that's another thing is a lot of our kids are not asked to speak to big groups or to engage with, with sponsors until they're actually doing it. So this gives us a way to get them in front of people who are decision makers or, or involved in their businesses and learn a little bit so they can be better at it when they get there. Because if you go to Mobile One, you need to be pretty good when you get to Mobile One, right? So there's a certain amount of this where there's a lot of trial and error that goes on beforehand. And when you have groups like Bill McAnally in the West Coast, who does an amazing job at developing kids in that way, he's very engaged. We've been really lucky to have teams who understand that side of it and can actively help with it. So that's, again, it's one of the components of racing. It's not the most important part because you still have to win races. And ultimately, we're judging you for wins and losses. But it's it's a big, big piece. And, and it's a piece that affects them later. I mean, it's a lot of them, they realize it once they get older that, oh, okay, that's why we were doing all of that stuff. And that's why I don't say this or I say that. Or that's why when I'm at a party or I'm at an event, I'm talking to people and I'm actively engaging because it's important for me to do that. It's it's a full-time job. I mean, being a driver is a lot harder. The stress, the ups and downs of it are part of it, the racing itself. But then it's the Monday through Friday stuff that you have to deal with that does consume a fair amount of time just to get ready for that Saturday race. So, Well, and to Jack's point, each sponsor needs something different. And so where we're different from a team is that we just have opportunities in a, in a variety of different places in racing. And so JBL has athletes in the NBA and other places. And so they have a certain amount of engagement socially that way. Well, they need something completely different from us and our ability to provide that across, again, a variety of different teams. You look at ExxonMobil or Mobile One, they too have a, a relationship in the NBA, but they are a staple product in motorsport. And so showing that diversity, we can do that. Whereas an individual team, it's much more difficult because they're not going to start grassroots teams and a truck team and this team and that. They, they need to focus on what they're good at. And so um, Jack and his group have done a good job of, of being able to work with the potential sponsors. What do they need? How can we help fill that for them? All the stuff Jack was saying too about how to help kids with doing social, which is interesting to me because I figure anybody under the age of like 18 knows how to do social media better than me. But you're right. I'm sure there's a lot of elements there. And I want to get to all that eventually because that's very interesting stuff. But I just before we go to all that, I just want to go back to what Jack was saying about sports science and how important that is. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit, Jack? So we actively, when, when Toyota moved to Plano, there was an engagement piece with the Texas Rangers that kind of happened organically that introduced us to a bunch of really smart guys uh, in baseball. And we were already doing some analysis of races and how we were trying to understand who was good and who wasn't and what a race meant. So back then, we were we would take data in, we would do our best to kind of figure out if Chris Rubel was as good as we thought he was. And we try to figure out what the other cars were rated. And then you'd rate the drivers and you try to come up with some sort of system to try to understand what that meant for what we were looking for in a race car driver and what other people were looking for in race car drivers back when they were developing. Uh, we talked to a lot of people to do that. So then when we kind of engaged with the Rangers 
and you see how they do it differently in the respect of just how big sports do it, you know, and, and how they engage with the with their athletes and the day-to-day piece of how important, uh, if it's health and fitness, if it's their mental well-being, if it's just the way they approach and how they learn the sport. We, you know, all of us who played sports kind of understand some of that, but these stick and ball sports do it at such a high level. It was, it was really impressive to us. So we linked to Texas Christian university at the time they were doing a bunch of uh, analysis for drivers for us. Um, and we took a bunch of our drivers through their program and, and did a bunch of um, body analysis, mental analysis, quick twitch type stuff. We worked with them through that process to learn and understand how they did it. Um, we worked with the Rangers to kind of understand how they did it. That has kind of morphed into us doing a lot of different tours through different places and engagement um, through the F1 ranks to understand how they develop drivers. And and so we took all the pieces that kind of fit for our application and started putting together a more sports science approached way of, of engaging with the drivers, a, a little bit more science-based beyond just the, we think he's good or we think she's good of even, you know, how you train them and why you train them at the level you train them at. And if you, what, you know, what heat does to their body and then how do you train them in heat? And then how do you add the stressors of it? So there's just a lot of that. I think we have a long way to go from the beginning of it. We were, we're happy to be where we're at now, but there's just a long way to go to kind of keep developing it. But it's, it's a pretty big part of what we do. I mean, at some point, I heard this a long time ago, and it, it sticks with me now. You know, when you were in school, in high school, junior high, you got a report card at the end of every quarter, every semester. And it's no different with the drivers. I mean, the drivers have to get a report card. They have to understand where they're at. So if you're going to have somebody go work out or do some sort of activity and you're going to monitor them, at some point they need to understand what they did and how it worked and what it, what it helped them with or didn't help them with and what didn't work. Um, so we've done that. That's kind of been the big part of what we do. So we do body scans. We do engagement with from our, our, our strength and conditioning coach, our medical staff. I mean, all of that. So we, we do it also. Same thing with social media. We actively track their social media and give them a report card. We give them weekly updates. It's, it's all that. At some point, there's this assumption. It, I remember this back with Rico. It was funny. Drivers who win everybody just assumes that they know everything about every car they've ever been in. And the truth is, they don't. <laughs> a lot of them, they're they're getting into a car for the first time, and they haven't. They don't know what all the lights mean. They don't know what all the you know all the items go. I mean, if you go back to Bell, even he hadn't shifted an H transmission when we put him in a late model. I mean, and that's that is common, by the way. So there's just so much that needs to be learned, and and so that's something with Rico. I bring him up only because it was a car ran out of gas, and no one knew what to do when a truck ran out of gas. And there's Matt Crafton having a session with. Ben Rhodes, Rico, and whoever else in the in the in the hauler, you know, teaching them that, and and it's one of those things that anyone listening to this is going, how stupid could they be? Well, there's <laughs> there's a way to deal with that that's not common, and and it sounds funny, but they just you know a race a truck race is really expensive, and you don't get in a lot of them. So uh, a lot of times, what we found at least in the beginning was we were spending a lot of money for someone to learn, you know, instead of having that figured out before we get there. So that's where. Some of the sports science is really nifty, different stuff that's edgy. And then some of it is just basic, man. I mean, the car runs out of gas. What do you do? And the teams, it's interesting because the teams are great. We have great teams, but they take in new kids all the time. And there's a certain misunderstanding at times of like, did I did I teach him that? Did I go through that with them? And so even f- navigating how they do that was a big part of 
of the process of knowing, you know, Rudy knows when a kid comes in, he has to go through X, Y, Z. Well, I, I need to make sure that Rudy is doing it his way and that, you know, whoever on this team is doing the same thing because everybody is getting kids at different times and all the kids are at different levels. And so and a dirt kid is completely different than a pavement kid, right? Some stuff that seems really basic to pavement people is completely, it's the moon for, for a dirt kid. And so there's a lot of that that we've, I mean, we've done glossary terms of what the meaning is of each thing, you know, what a dirt meaning is and what a pavement meaning is and what they mean when they're combined together. I mean, it's pretty amazing amount of stuff that doesn't always fit for every kid. Anything to add on that front, Tyler? When I hear sports science and I first heard Jack start talking about it, I was thinking like, I don't know, maybe these are like metrics or money ball or you're analyzing things, but it sounds like it's more basic than that. It's like just sort of like understanding what you got. It is money ball. That is part of it. Yeah. But then it's also the science of the human body, right? I mean, it's, it's exactly how the human body is constructed and made. I mean, we have specialized equipment that we use that helps the kids engage better in racing that are racing specific and sports science is a lot about that it's about your physiological abilities based on the sport you're going to play and how you act how you further enhance those attributes to be ready to play in that particular environment with racing what's extremely different about racing is a 130 to 140 degree car I mean, just tearing apart your body in a different way. So it doesn't look like what they're doing is overly aerobic, but their body is completely decaying in that car and trying to understand that. But then also there's the social side of it, a a psychological side of it that is completely different because you also have to explain to them that eating a pulled pork sandwich before the race is not the way to be ready to deal with a 140 degree car. Like, I mean, and it sounds basic and you're right. There's really, they're really basic parts of it, but then there's super complex parts of it. And, and the funny thing is the kids for the most part, they're extremely smart when it comes to that stuff, but you also have to actively engage and explain. So they buy in, right? It's not as simple as just like, Hey, eat fruit or, you know, Carbo loading is not a thing anymore. That's not the way we do it anymore. But there, there's, there has to be some, some understanding behind it. Yeah, Jack touched on it. But we have learned a lot of the simple things. And those are the things that we focus on. There is a science to it. There are some analytics and some math behind it. As Jack again said, we are at the very beginning of this endeavor. So while it looks like we have a well-buttoned-up program, we really do. Um, but it, it, there's just so much more for us to learn and to know and to understand. Do we calculate some things? Yes. Do they mean anything? Do we get good results that we can make decisions on? Sometimes they line up and sometimes they don't. And, and again, this is, this is baseball metrics. There are thousands of baseball metrics. Which one do you want, right? War is the big one right now, but it used to be ERA and it used to be batting average and it used to be. So for us, it's, it's really pulling those together and understanding those. Touching on the teams, for us, the teams are a huge part of the science. They take a huge variability out. When you get into a Keith Coons midget, we know what you get. And we know that the chances of it breaking down, it happens. And, and there are mechanicals in every form of racing. But the chances that it's going to break down on a consistent basis over the course of a season is pretty much zero. So you'll have a couple of failures. But by and large, you will have the equipment that will be set up properly, that will be properly prepared, and you will be coached properly to take advantage of that. And if you do, then we know that you have some talent and it just kind of continues to work its way along there. Same thing with Venturini, same thing with KBM, same thing with HRE, same thing with JGR. I mean, it just, it builds on those things. There are so many talented drivers who did not get the opportunity they probably deserved because they were never in equipment 
that would allow them to show what they had on a consistent basis against consistently good competition. And our ability to take that variable out, we can hand on heart say we know that they had the best opportunity against the best talent and it just didn't work out and that's okay we'll move on and they'll move on so it helps on both sides there like taking out that variable of the teams knowing the teams are going to be reliable like it helps them because they know they're getting good stuff but it helps you guys because you know there's no excuses here the, the numbers are but the data is good i guess is what i'm saying like you Correct. want your data to be really Correct. good when you evaluate, it, right? it allows us to take a lot of variables out and, and teams have come to understand they didn't tell us every driver is great because they want to keep that driver just so they have work. They understand our program and know the way that we, we're patient, but we're also not going to do this forever with the driver that's probably not going to make it. And so there's a good balance there. They understand that we're not going to yank the kid out after the first week because they crashed. And so they have some consistency. But at the same time, they don't need to tell us that kid's great because we have no one to fill that seat when that kid's out. They know that we have a big enough program and a partner with them to speak openly. We need this many races for this for this kid. You need to fill the rest. And we can work together that way. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I want to get a little bit into what it's been like for you guys this season because obviously driver development works really well when you can actually go to tracks and watch drivers. <laughs> so, and I'm speaking to you guys on Microsoft Teams and I'm looking, you guys are both in your houses right now. Jack actually has a more interesting background. Sorry, Tyler, he's got the punching bag. <laughs> yeah, uh, he does. Him. So what's it been like <laughs> trying to do driver development during the middle of this pandemic where everything's just sort of been put on hold for two months? Uh, Chili Bowl started out well. We had a lot of good performances <laughs> through the different nights of Chili Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of our young kids did a really nice job at the Chili Bowl, so that was a good start. The, the season hasn't progressed quite like we thought it would. Yeah, Harrison's win was a good one. You know, that was great to see. You know, after you got through, once Atlanta kind of happened, initially we just stopped everything, right? So us being in California, you know, geographically the pandemic is different, right? Everywhere is a little bit different depending upon where you where you're at. So for California, we shut down quite a little bit earlier than North Carolina, so I think there was a little bit of a sense of urgency from us knowing kind of what happened here, but obviously it's, it was a little bit different in North Carolina. So, you know, we we shut down the performance center quickly and kind of had to deal with with a few things just internally of how we are going to engage with the kids uh, and keep them active. 
And then when when it kind of started becoming a, a much bigger impact to everyone, then we obviously held, we stopped everything. We did do some outreach engagement. We, we have some apps that we engage with the kids for workouts and nutrition and stuff like that. So those, most of the kids were active on that, that you could give them a routine and they would do it in their house. There was a, we've always had a, a pretty decent how you work out in, in the hotel, you know, with bands, therabands and stuff like that. So some of the kids are, had already done that. Some do it more than others. So there was a little bit more encouragement to do that. We engage, this sounds funny, but Instagram, one of our private channels that we share with the kids that can engage through Instagram. The funny thing is, you can have it. You can tell them to go to a website. They won't go to a website, but they will for sure click on an Instagram link. <laughs> so, so that's worked out. We learned that uh, also from uh, from one of our nutritionists. That's been it's just how you engage and and how you actively uh, kind of keep them motivated. You know, there's a lot of tech streams. Um, you you also don't want to over inundate them with data that they stop reading and stop engaging with. So that's been part of it. But a lot of it with iRacing has been a lot of fun. So uh, there's been a certain amount of link through that. We've always been a big sim group with our own, you know, TRD sim. But um, at the Performance Center, we have a we have some pretty high end simulator simulators there that we use for you know more home sims. But Carolina Sim did for us, and so the kids have always used those. Um, so we had a way to engage a little bit more. And with kind of like Daniel Suarez and, and Bell and some of those guys that were competing in the Pro Invitational, that was. They, they needed that kind of access until we could get them up and running. Same thing with Kyle. I mean, one of the sims that we ended up delivering to Kyle's house. So there was a fair amount of work that had to happen um, just during the pandemic to try to keep everybody engaged. But then also to keep everybody distant, not with each other, is different. And young kids, this is shocking, 19, 20-year-old kids, they don't always fully understand when there's possible issues. You, you can't put them in a situation where they may engage with each other because you know they're they're not supposed to do the bro hug thing <laughs> but they do it way so um so yeah we had to be a little bit strict on it but there was that's this is another part where parents matter right we actively have to engage with parents on stuff like that and even the kids you know are the older kids still the parents are engaged in their life and are the ones who are making sure that they're safe and so you know that was that was another piece of it but it's been different i mean not not going to the racetrack is is a bizarre thing and and not being able to see them and we haven't seen them in two months this is the most i've been home in 10 years so it's different for everybody right and then the fear too when they start announce racing again is are our kids ready to race? Right. Are you? I mean, you're going to go to Charlotte, man. It's going to be 140 in that car. For I mean, Christopher Bell is going to go 600 laps, man, or 600 miles. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous thing to ask of somebody who hasn't been in a car in a while. So you got to ramp them back up and get them back to working out and back to doing the things that are going to anaerobically challenge them similar to the car. So they're ready to get in the car. And that's, that's with all the drivers. I mean, that's ARCA people that are going to go race their first road course here soon. Like, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of things that come into that and sim work, even home sim work has been a big part of that. One of the things too, Nate, for us is that the infrastructure was in place because remember we talk about the training at the performance center, but probably half our kids don't live in the Charlotte area. So we have a group of kids who follow the regimen, who have a work team, who have nutrition protocols that we lay out for them that get tested on a quarterly or every four month basis. Again, that report card back to them. So they just don't live in Charlotte. So we have the tools available for them to know what to do and know how to do it and so forth. But as Jack said, the parents have to be helping us in reminding them of how important this is. We are going to race again, and you want to be ready when that time comes. But most of the kids are pretty self-motivated. You know, I think they all kind of 
well, we're not going to race for a while. I might have taken the first week or two a little soft, but um, after that, they began to ramp back up again, and, and we're pretty anxious to get started. How do you advise them during the layoff? Do you just say, hey, do as much iRacing as you can, or you know, as we're seeing the World of Outlaws, late models, and sprint cars? I know one of your drivers was at Knoxville last week who I was watching. Do you encourage them as those short tracks and sprints and dirt stuff comes back online to get into that, or how do you advise them on all, the, all that? Yeah, I think you know if, if they can safely race... I'm, I'm a fan of kids racing as much as they possibly can. I mean, in anything that they can. And I think it's important forever, honestly. I just think it's a big deal. We don't we don't get enough races in anyway, right? So you race once a week, and, and if you had a bad race, if you could go race Tuesday at Knoxville, you should probably go race Tuesday at Knoxville. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a big, a big fan of that. I also think it's extremely important to cross-develop. I think it makes them better pavement racers and by being a pavement racer it makes you a better dirt racer great racers win in everything that they're in um that's what makes them great um and those are the guys and girls who win championships long term so i'm a big fan of them racing whatever they can we did have a little bit different approach with the cup guys there was a little bit more focus on you you gotta get to cup racing and you can't put yourself in a position to where you're exposed uh to anyone who may have 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 had it so um, Travel-wise, we were a little bit not harder necessarily, but we advised against it. Um, you know, and most of them, we don't have this dictator. Dictate? How do you say it? Dict? Dict? Something? I don't know. Dictatorial? Yeah, yeah. There. You know what? Nate, if you can rewind that and edit, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm just here to make you guys look good. It's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. But, but that's uh, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. But but I you know we're we're not we're not the like steel hammer guys or steel fist guys that are yelling at kids and saying don't do this don't do that that's just not the way we do it we're pretty big collaborators in how that works and and everybody has kind of a what they're trying to accomplish and it's different for each one so we typically if if we're asked for counsel we'll give that counsel and let them make those decisions there are times where those decisions aren't ones we would have made and we will let them know that but it's still their decision it's very rare that we've ever really had to be this is really a bad idea and usually if it's a really bad idea it's it's going to cause harm to somebody um, more than anything else and sometimes that happens but with racing it, i think we're probably extremely open more than maybe some other groups because of our involvement in it of just how important it is to, to cross develop our belief in range and that whole concept much more open to letting kids race in multiple disciplines um, than, than most people so that was part one of my discussion with jack irving and tyler gibbs as you just heard, we covered a lot of ground there, but still a lot of ground to cover. In part two, which should be coming out next week, you'll hear a lot about the up-and-coming drivers in the Toyota Racing Development Program. You'll hear Tyler Gibbs and Jack Irving discussing what it's like knowing that they can't keep everybody. And there have been some instances in which they weren't able to keep somebody. Notably, William Byron was in the Toyota Racing Development Driver Development Program, and, and he was one of the ones that got away. So some good insight on that front. And then an intriguing perspective on what it's like dealing with kids. I, th these, for the most part, these are a lot of teenagers that you're dealing with. And that comes with some NASCAR moms, NASCAR dads, who might be considered sort of the racing equivalents of Little League moms, Little League dads. They deal with those in racing. And I think that Tyler Gibbs and Jack Irving have a really unique perspective on what it's like dealing with the parents of race car drivers and essentially filling those parental roles and having these kids handed off to them uh, at this really critical juncture as they're trying to become world-class race car drivers. And also, they have some interesting insight on the things that they teach them 
off the track about how to manage their lives, things you should and shouldn't say, things you should and shouldn't do, but also trying to encourage these guys to be themselves as well. Because as we all know, one of the unfortunate trends in the racing industry, say over the last 20 years, is that some of the personalities have been bleached out by too much corporate sponsorship. So you want to encourage these kids as they're coming along and developing to be themselves and become charismatic drivers that people want to follow. But there's a fine line there and also knowing how to represent multinational corporations while also being yourself. So lots of good stuff coming up in part two of this conversation with Tyler Gibbs and Jack Irving on the NASCAR NBC podcast. So stay tuned for that. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Please leave us a rating or review if you like what you're hearing. That really helps us out. And as always, if you have any feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.